0: Excited to be here with y'all, and uh, I hope you've been encouraged by the conference so far. Been encouraged so far? Good. Well, let me tell you what what I want to do. I want us to kind of take a step back, and I want us to just be reminded of and think of the need for missions. Why is it that missions is a need? Why is it that we even having this conference and talking about this? And we'll look at that in Romans chapter 10. I'm gonna pray. Uh, but my hope uh, as we go through, the, uh, through this text is that it'll be a call to action, that it will uh, press in on our hearts the need. It'll make, make us ask ourselves serious questions about how we can be obedient to what the Lord has called us to do. So let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. There's no other way we can come before you, Father. God, we pray that you would. Give us grace to hear from you in your word, Lord. We pray that you'd speak to us clearly, Father. We pray that um, your spirit would work in us, God, and that we would look more like your son and that we would make other followers of your son in obedience to your great commission. Uh, Father, if this is going to be a fruitful time, we need you to work. If it's not just going to be a time of me up here running my mouth, Father, if this is actually going to have some eternal fruit, we need your spirit to work. So we pray he would. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I want to start by telling you something about myself, and you may share with me in this. Um, I really have a problem with people who are unnecessary helpers. You know what an unnecessary helper is? Um, I'll explain it to you, and you may share this with me. Um, the ironic thing though is um, that I have unnecessary helpers all around me. My mom mom's an unnecessary helper, my sister's an unnecessary helper, none of them are watching this live stream. Uh, <laughs> my wife can be an unnecessary helper, my role manager for a long time was an unnecessary helper. Um, I, I really dislike it when I have something covered and somebody comes to my rescue without an invitation. Um, An unnecessary help with somebody who uh, is servant-hearted, but just doesn't know when to turn the service off, um, you know, who just always is trying to help at all times, hovers, and in their defense, they're just trying to serve without ceasing, which is not a command. It's pray without ceasing. You can cease serving sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, just small example. So you know what I mean. One time I was uh, headed to an event somewhere. We were in the car. My road manager was was riding with me. I was driving. I had Google Maps open. Neither of us know where we are, so I have Google Maps. And uh, you know, we, we're making our way there. And I look over, and my road manager also has his own maps app open, and he's calling out directions. I'm confused at this point because uh, I, ha- I like I don't. You got the same app that I do, and now you're trying to be Siri. I didn't ask you to call out (laughs) the instructions. As you can tell, I'm bitter about this. Uh, I didn't need his help, uh, and that's something that I need to work through. But that's one of the things about help is that we don't appreciate it or ask for it unless we think we need it when we have everything taken care of we usually prefer just to take care of it on our own and when we need help we'll ask for it if I could sum up that life philosophy in three words it would be I got this right I got this when I need help I'll ask for it and that usually works fine for me but the one hole in us having that life philosophy I got this is this we don't always know when we need help Right. Sometimes we need help and we don't know. And this is especially true when it comes to our spiritual lives, because when we bring that same life philosophy, I got this. When we bring that life philosophy into our spiritual life, things go bad. When we assume we can take care of everything on our own, that we can present ourselves righteous before God on our own. When we do that, we have lied to ourselves. So the fact that when Mark asked who's converted and and most of the people in this room stood up, that means that we know we cannot present ourselves before God on our own. We know that we need a Savior. Most of us in this room know better. We know that I got this philosophy doesn't work with our relationship with God. But here's the thing. We cannot in good conscience sit, sit by while others all around the world continue to live in that delusion. While people continue to bring that I got this philosophy to their spiritual lives, the fact that there are so many people across the world uh, who assume they have it under control when they don't is something that should bother us deeply because people need to be saved. But Here's my question. What if God has decided the way that he will save people is when his people open their mouths and say something? Look at Romans chapter 10. We'll start at verse 14. That's what we'll look at. In our time, while you turn there, I'll give you some background. As many of you know, Romans 9 to 11, Paul talks about his Jewish brothers and sisters and how he wants them to be saved, right? So the backdrop for everything Paul says in this passage is the sentiment uh, that he expressed earlier. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He said in chapter 9, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. So that's the starting point for Paul Here, and I pray it will be the starting point for us to wanting so badly for other people to be saved. Losing sleep over the lostness of people in our world. Agonizing over that. Pleading with God to save them. Uh, Gospel action is driven in part by gospel agony. Being agonized. Uh, So with that backdrop, Paul talks about what his brothers and sisters need. Verses one to four, he makes clear chasing righteousness on our own is only going to keep us from it. Verses five to 13, he makes clear salvation is never out of reach for anybody. Anybody can be saved, but we all have to come the same way. And he just said, chapter 10, verse 13, he says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that seems like the solution then. That's it. It's simple. Just call on the name of the Lord. But it's not so simple. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, this is what God's word says. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's God's word. If we really want lost people around the globe to know Jesus, Paul tells us how God has ordained it will happen. I think the big idea of this uh, part of Scripture is that if God's people will say something, God may save someone. Really simple. If God's people will say something, God may say someone will look at it in three points. Number one, you can't call on a savior you've never heard of. You cannot call on a savior that you've never heard of. Um, superheroes are our favorite saviors right now as a culture. They will not stop making superhero movies. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a new superhero movie every 14 seconds. <laughs> they bring bringing out superheroes no one asked for. Nobody asked for an Ant-Man movie. Y'all did that on your own. <laughs> you were not getting emails about Ant-Man. Uh, we love those movies. And the only superhero that I really love is, is Batman. And in the second Dark Knight movie, Batman, you know, he takes the, if you haven't seen it yet, that show followed, it came out a long time ago. And the second Dark Knight movie, Batman takes the fall for a crime somebody else commits. And they break the light. They say, we don't trust you anymore. We're not going to call on you for help anymore. Uh, And they're mad at Batman. And, you know, part of it's heartbreaking. You know, also, it feels kind of silly that they were calling on a grown man dressed as a bat for help. But one of the things that it illustrates for us, though, and them saying we're not going to call on you for help anymore, is that when we need help, we only call on people that we trust and believe in right? Somebody that we think is trustworthy, somebody who we think is willing and able to actually help us. And Paul points that out in in, in, uh, terms of people calling on the name of Jesus. And what he's going to do in this passage is he's going to walk backwards with these rhetorical questions, saying if somebody's going to call on the name of the Lord, here are the steps that that have to happen. And with each one, he takes a step back. So I want you to bear with me because we're going to walk through each one of those steps briefly. And we'll start with this issue of calling for help and believing in someone. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Again, you can only ask someone to save you if you trust them to take care of the job. That, That first step is obvious to us. People don't cry out to Jesus for the same reason that you don't cry out to Santa Claus. Unbelief. You don't believe in Santa Claus, so you don't call out to him. You don't write letters to him. You don't ask him to bring you gifts. That thought would never enter your mind. And it's the same way when we believe in Jesus. People don't call on Jesus for forgiveness of sins because they do not believe. They don't believe there's sinners who need to be saved. They don't think, they don't know there's a willing Savior holding his hand out, ready to take them to safety. We cannot expect people who don't believe in Jesus to call out to him in the same way that we do. As believers, we call out to the Lord all the time. It could just be in the middle of the day. We're feeling overwhelmed. May call out to God for strength to make it through the end of the day. If we're worried about a friend, we may call out to God to, to help them. We may pray to, say, help them out in their time of need. But we call out to God in those times because we believe in him. We know he's there. We know he's gracious. We know he longs to care for us. But why would you call on someone that you don't believe? And here's the thing that's really tragic. Because when we don't believe in Jesus, it's not just that we don't call out to him. It's that we sometimes call out to the wrong people, right? It's not that we don't call out to anybody. It's we call out to others instead of Jesus, which is tragic. We're not naive or ignorant enough to think that every person in the world who doesn't believe in Jesus is an atheist or is agnostic. Right? It's not that they don't call out to any gods, it's that they don't call out to the true God, which is tragic. Imagine somebody who is drowning in a pool, who desperately needs to be saved, and they look up and in the lifeguard chair, the lifeguard is gone, but somebody else is sitting in their seat and they have on the lifeguard uniform and they have the little lifeguard floaty and the lifeguard whistle, and they call out to that person to save them, but that person can't swim. They'll be confused, right? And as much as they call out to that person to come save them while they're drowning, the wrong person is sitting in that seat, right? And that should grieve us. That so many of our friends and our family and our neighbors are calling out to the wrong person. People we've never met, people groups all over the world are calling out to the wrong saviors. They're calling on false gods. Some people are calling out to their own good works. They're calling on some distortion of Jesus instead of the real Jesus. But they're not calling on the name of Jesus to be saved because they don't believe in him. And we, knowing that people need to be saved, want them to call on Jesus. But that only happens when they trust that he can save them. So how can we help them to believe in Jesus? Paul's second question, he says, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? It goes without saying that you don't believe in somebody you've never heard of. And I think sometimes we, it's hard for us to grasp the reality that there are people in our world who have never heard of Jesus. Not people who just don't know that much about Jesus. Right? We have a brother who's just converted, who by God's grace, he'd been hearing the gospel his whole life. And God graciously decided to save him recently. But, but this is something that doesn't, and that's a story for a lot of us. We heard the gospel plenty of times before we believed it. There are plenty of people who've never heard of Jesus at all no bible in their language there's no christians in their neighborhoods it's not a bunch of churches down the street and like us they've rebelled against what they do know about god and they've never heard of the savior that could save them in spite of their rebellion which is tragic and that's why missions exist that's why we're doing a conference like this that's why we're encouraging you to to go Uh, this is why in our churches we should be praying that god would help us to raise up Missionaries. This is why we're talking about uh, the amount of money our church wants to give to, to send people. It's a worthy sacrifice for us to make. I had a friend who seemed crazy to a lot of people because he picked up, in the middle of his life, his family and his little kids, and they went to Peru, into the middle of the jungle, to go tell some people about Jesus. That sounds crazy, unless people are perishing because they've never heard of Jesus. My brother-in-law, a couple years ago, uh, picked up his wife and three daughters under five, went to Niger in the middle of nowhere. That sounds foolish unless people are perishing because they've never heard of Jesus. Young know, couple in, in, in the church I was at in Atlanta, who their dream for their whole life was to go be missionaries in Southeast Asia. And somebody would say, You in your early 20s, how could that be your biggest dream? That sounds crazy. Unless people are perishing because they've never heard of Jesus. Right? That truth changes everything. It's not only people who haven't heard of Jesus at all, there's some people who. Uh, have heard of Jesus but not really because the Jesus that comes to mind when they think Jesus bears no resemblance to the real Jesus except that they call him Jesus. There are plenty of people who've even been disgusted by Jesus but not the real Jesus. They've only heard of some imaginary Jesus and and unfortunately when we preach, those of us who are pastors who teach the word, when we fail to show the distinction between these false imaginary Jesuses that get preached and the real Jesus, then what we do is we set people up To wherever they go in their lives, sharing the gospel, they end up being missionaries. We set them up to not be able to tell the real from the false. A lot of people think of an easygoing Jesus who doesn't care anything about our sins. Or a a hateful Jesus who only wants to condemn our sins. Or an American Republican Jesus of European descent who endorses fallen political platforms. Or... A weak, merely human Jesus who was just victimized by murderers that he couldn't overpower. None of those are the real Jesus. Do not preach that Jesus. That's false. You can't believe in someone you've never heard of, but it's also true you can't believe in someone if you don't know who they actually are and what they actually do have to offer you. You can be aware of somebody and have a completely false understanding of them. You ever seen the show Undercover Boss? Like the boss goes undercover, and they make you cry by the end of the episode, and he'll, you know, some CEO of some big company like McDonald's, and he'll be in there uh, you know, cleaning the toilet, and some people will be a jerk to him, like, you don't know anything about this business, and then they regret it at the end. It's like they saw this person, they had a name associated with him, but they had no idea who this really was. There are plenty of people who have heard the name of Jesus, but they've never heard of the real Jesus. There's a lot at stake. So how do we make sure they hear? Here's the next question Paul asks. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Again, Paul is pointing out the obvious, you can't hear about someone without somebody else telling you about them. I wonder if you've ever thought about how dependent we are on other human beings to get by in the world at all, right? It's not like we just have to learn some things from other people almost everything that you know, you learn from somebody else. Probably learned how to read from a teacher. Learned how to brush your teeth from a parent. You learned how to prank people when they fell asleep from your friends. (laughs) Everything we learn, you you can't know much of anything without another person communicating that to you. And God has hardwired all of us to have uh, the ability and intelligence to learn, and there are some things that we sense innately, like right and wrong, or that there that, that, that seems like there must be a God. But there are almost no specific facts or actions that you can do without learning them from another person. And God, in His wisdom, decided that the same thing would be true of hearing about Jesus. Because God could have decided to teach all of us the good news just through visions or just a sense in our soul or through messages in the clouds. He could have done that. But God chose to save through the message of the gospel, and he decided that message must be proclaimed by a preacher. That's not to say there are no exceptions for this. But one of my favorite exceptions in the Bible is Cornelius. God comes to Cornelius in a vision. And talks to him about how he can be saved. Do you know what he tells him for how he can be saved? He says, go call for Peter. And Peter came and preached the gospel to him. And the Lord saved him. God has decided he will save us through the preaching of the gospel. Now, some of you may think, well, man, I'm glad there's some preachers out there somewhere. <laughs> praise God for preachers. But I just want to encourage you, yes, praise God for preachers, your pastors, your pastors. People you know to preach, but don't skirt your responsibility. Don't assume he's talking about others. He didn't say, how can they hear without people who are already pastors or already missionaries? He said, how can they hear without someone preaching? That word means heralding or proclaiming, somebody proclaiming the news about what Jesus has done. It's not just talking about people who already have some ordained role in a church or organization or, or uh, agency. We're talking about someone who will proclaim. So that does mean in our everyday lives, that does mean going in particular roles where are these preachers are supposed to come from. Last step in what Paul has to say. Verse 15, he says, How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Unless someone has been sent out to disperse this good news, it won't get around. Unless there's some folks who've been commissioned to spread this message, how will they preach it? Somebody has to be given that role. Someone has to see that as their responsibility. Someone has to be equipped for that particular mission. Have you ever been in a situation where something needs to get done and everybody assumed that other people was going to get it done? Have you ever been to a potluck and everybody bring cups? Everybody assumed somebody else was going to bring the food <laughs> because nobody decided it was their responsibility. Nobody ever took that initiative. It's the same thing with the message of Jesus. Someone has to be given that task. Somebody has to grab a hold of that task. And so Paul points back to Isaiah 52 and talking about the beautiful feet. Here's what he quotes, Isaiah 52:7. It says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And by quoting this passage, I think Paul is doing two things. I'll talk about the first one now and the last one at the end of this point. Paul is pointing out that God has called his people to preach the good news. We are to share the good news of God's salvation with one another and with others and all throughout Scripture. It is incredibly clear that every single follower of God, every single disciple of Jesus has been sent into the world to preach. So, family, uh, that means that we are the preachers. We are the preachers, not just pastors and deacons, not just old Christians, not just men, not just women, not just those with a special gift of preaching. All of us are supposed to, in some way, shape, or form, proclaim this truth, which is hard for us to grasp, but it's at the core of our identity as believers. We, we are both those who receive the message and those who give it. We're all parishioners and preachers. We're all patients and doctors. We're all beggars and givers. And if you neglect one for the other, your Christianity will be lopsided. If you assume your Christianity is only about giving, you'll be lopsided. If you assume your Christianity is only about teaching others, you'll be lopsided. But if you assume your Christianity is only about receiving, it's only always about being fed by others, your Christianity will be lopsided, and you're not really following Jesus in the way that Jesus has talked about following him. Part of following Jesus is helping other people to follow Jesus. Right there, clear as day in the Great Commission. That's part of what it means to follow him. And the good news is... That means we're in this together. That means that God has not called you individually to reach all the world by yourself. The Lord has given us a big family to do this together so that I understand that I can't go to all nations by myself But there's sometimes when I can help sin. That means I can help support. That means I can learn from other brothers and sisters. Christianity is a team sport. And our goal for glorifying Jesus and helping people to meet Jesus is a team sport that we get to do together. That's good news. That's good news. We get to go proclaim this to the whole globe together. So when we think about those who carry the gospel, who carry this message, we shouldn't assume he's talking about other people. We should ask if our own evangelism should extend even beyond our local setting. We should ask ourselves those questions. Do I need to go? Do I need to be sent in some way other than I am right now? Paul says, how beautiful are the feet. Why would he say that? We don't normally think of feet as beautiful because they're not. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I was with you, Paul. You talked about feet being beautiful. Uh, why would he say that? Well, he says that because there's no greater message for us to carry. Right, We go from place to place. We get to go from place to place sharing with people the words of life. Remember the disciples, they said to Jesus, where else can we go? You have the words of life. They're like, where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to go to? No one else has anything better for us. You have the words of life. Everybody leaves Jesus, and they're like, well, we would, but there's nowhere else to go with the words of life. And we get to point people to those words of life. If if we were in a cell, in a prison cell somewhere dying, and we desperately needed a sip of water, our lips are cracking, our body is shutting down, and, and as we lay there weak, not even able to really look up, we see from the distance the feet of somebody walking towards your cell with water. You would rejoice at the sight of those feet. Those feet would be beautiful to you because they're carrying what you most need at that moment. And and what we get to do, the reason why our feet will be beautiful, is we get to take people what they need most. There's no better mission in the world at home or abroad. There's no better form of foreign aid. There's no need that's more important. There are other needs of dire importance that we're commanded to help meet, but our greatest need is our eternal need. I like the way uh, Piper says it. We care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. What we carry is beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. And so though we we read this passage and we need to read it, we know this to be true, uh, that, that, you know, people have to share the, the truth of the gospel for us to believe. And one of the ways we know that is because all of us who know Jesus, are Christians because somebody else told us the gospel, right? Maybe we heard the gospel preached at a Christian event. Maybe our parents shared the gospel with us when we were kids. Maybe one of our friends confronted us with it. Or maybe we simply read scripture where God inspired men to communicate his word. Whatever the case, God used other people to communicate the message of Christ to us. We are fruit of this very truth, that when people open their mouths and proclaim the gospel of Jesus, God does incredible things. And so the mission of your—I don't know what church you're a part of, but the mission of your church is the mission of every church to make followers of Jesus. Um, And the Lord has commanded us to make those followers of Jesus everywhere. So we cannot be content just to come into rooms like this and to sing songs like, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and just uh, gather together as a church as if there are no people outside of the walls or across the street or walking around or across the globe who don't know this Jesus we rejoice in. Now, we should rejoice in Jesus. We're commanded to, and it's part of our good witness. But rejoicing in Jesus is sad if we don't ever feel compelled to tell other about them. Wouldn't it be weird if we were in some famine land, no one had any food, everybody was starving, and then we found some food, we rejoiced in the fact that we found food, even sang songs about that food, but never offered any food to anybody else? Wouldn't that be strange? Wouldn't that be distorted? Wouldn't that be heartless of us to rejoice in it with no regard for other people who have the same needs? So the answer for us is not to stop rejoicing in Jesus. We should rejoice in Jesus. But if we never share with others, then what are we really rejoicing in? My fear is that if we love to rejoice in salvation but never share that salvation with others, we're really just in love with ourselves, not God. Right? We're not really rejoicing in the God of our salvation. We're just rejoicing that we got saved, which is not a uh, The holistic kind of rejoicing Scripture calls us to. We're to rejoice in the God of our salvation. And when we understand that God of our salvation and how gracious he is, he's called us to share that with others. If God's people will say something, God may save someone. That was all the first point. It's the longest point, I promise. Can't call on a Savior you've never heard of. This isn't the worst point thing that's happened today. Mark said he had two points and his second point had seven subpoints, one of which had three subpoints. So I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> point number two. You can hear the right message and respond the wrong way. You can hear the right message and respond the wrong way. Uh, there are two types of people in this world. People who follow assembly instructions and people who just try to figure it out on their own. Um, it's, it's nice to, to put stuff together when you get something new, um, but it's disappointing when you follow the steps exactly and it still doesn't work out that way, which is how it always goes with IKEA furniture. You always think it's going to work and you try to follow it out. They put that little weird Allen wrench in there and you try to do it, but it doesn't work out exactly how you hoped. That's disappointing. And you can tell that somebody in Sweden somewhere wrote these instructions because it doesn't make sense. And that's disappointing because you're thinking, I was just supposed to go one, two, three, and it was supposed to work. Well, Paul wants to guard us from that mistake and our taking the gospel to other people, reminding us he's not just giving us some assembly instructions. Salvation isn't an IKEA table. When we talk about preaching the gospel, there's more to it than that. So we should talk about it in a hopeful way. God really does save people. He can save anybody. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But we cannot act as if, as long as you tell people the right thing, they'll definitely be saved. And sometimes we'll do that with whatever evangelism method that we like. We'll say, hey, just do steps one, two, three, they'll be saved. Tell them God loves them, has a plan for their life. Pray for them. Saved The Romans wrote, saved. Or tell them in Ten Commandments, show them they're wrong, crush their spirit, then they'll immediately see their sin and be saved. And it's never as simple as that. Paul doesn't want to give us that wrong impression. Right? We should preach, but just because people hear the message doesn't mean they'll always repent and believe. Verse 16, this is what Paul says. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? I think Paul still has his Jewish brothers and sisters in mind, mainly here, that so many have heard and they still rebelled against the gospel. Remember, he has this unceasing anguish in his heart. He wants to see his Jewish brothers and sisters saved. Not all obeyed the gospel. That's a a weird phrase, isn't it? Obeyed the gospel. What does it mean to disobey the gospel? If the gospel is news... And salvation is through the obedience of Jesus, not ours. What does it mean to disobey the gospel? How can you disobey a reporting of events? There are some kinds of news that don't require a response from you. Right? So I remember like a couple of years ago, I saw on the news and I heard a lot that there was a, a game people had on their phone called Pokemon Go. And I kept hearing this news that it had made billions of dollars in the first few days. I was personally very confused and found it strange that grown men were playing Pokemon. Uh, I thought that was very strange, but I'm not going to judge them out loud. That's up to them to do. I heard that news, but that's the kind of news for me. I heard, and I said, that's interesting, and I moved on with my life. It it didn't have any bearing on my life. It did not require any kind of response from me. I moved on with my life as if nothing ever happened. There's another kind of news that demands immediate and urgent response from you, like news that your house is on fire, news that your wife is going into labor. That's the kind of news that you have to respond to immediately. And the gospel is that second kind of news, the kind of news that demands an immediate and urgent response from sinners, that God came to earth and died for sinners, the news that calls us to let go of our sins and grab a hold of Jesus, that's what it looks like to obey that news. The gospel demands a response. That's how we can disobey it. We see that other places like 2 Thessalonians 1. Um, and, and in both of those passages, it seems like obedience to the gospel is synonymous with repenting and believing the gospel. That is the only proper response to the gospel of Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not sure if you know Jesus, I hope you're aware that there are only two responses to Jesus and his gospel. You can either receive it or reject it. There's no in between. You can receive Jesus or reject Jesus. John 1, 12, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's one group. But to those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. Those are the two responses, receiving, uh, rejecting him or receiving him, which is believing in his name if you're here, you're not sure if you know Jesus, I want you to know there's no reason to disobey the gospel for another moment. You've heard about this Jesus. This is how people meet Jesus. You've heard of his trustworthiness. You can know Jesus right now. We don't have to be among those who reject it. And we want to share the gospel with that kind of urgency. We don't want those around us to be those who have uh, disobeyed the gospel. And it can't, It also can't be that we only feel burdened for people that we see face-to-face, right? So so if the only time we are burdened for somebody to meet Jesus and to not disobey the gospel is when we see him face-to-face, then nobody will ever go anywhere. Right, There has to be something about us as believers that where we understand God's global priority for people to meet Jesus, where we understand that something to makes somebody worthy of our attention and love to make sacrifices for them is not just that we get to know them and get to know their story in a moment. We have to know that there are billions of image bearers all over the world who need to know Jesus. Right? Mark tar- talked I think mentioned earlier, you, you can't uh, have a heart for, some, for, for a particular need or pray for a particular need if you don't know anything about it. So one of the implications for us is we have to go out of our way to learn about and know about people to serve, to pray for, to love, and to think about going to. You know, Paul is saying sometimes people hear the right message, though, and they reject it. I wonder if you've ever shared the gospel with someone who rejects what you had to say, who you felt like, yeah, I, I felt like I did the one, two, three, was faithful with the gospel, and they didn't listen. And one time it's happened to me on a plane. I was just sharing with a guy uh, the gospel, and, you know, he didn't want to talk anymore, but we were sitting next to each other, and we were on a plane, so you can't go anywhere. See sign. <laughs> and so we kept talking, and he, he kept throwing out objections. I kept trying to kindly answer him, and we got to a point where he was like, please, no more. Stop. No more of that religion stuff. And so that, that's a hard thing to happen when you, you want to share with somebody and they reject. But if we are going to share the gospel often, especially if we're going to go to other people and other cultures, we have to understand that's something that happens. And um, the work of salvation is not something that's uh, our work. Our work is to be faithful. We're the preachers, not the converters. We're the preachers, not the converters. And one of the reasons we get so discouraged which is one of the things that keeps us from going, is the fear that stuff won't happen. God has called us to be faithful and be the preachers. You worry about your job. Your job is to be the preacher. God's job is to convert, and when we understand that, that takes the pressure off of us to try to manufacture particular results in order to be confident in what we're doing. Your confidence in what you're doing is the fact that God told you to do that, and that's how he works. So if you're wondering, I don't know if this will work, well, God already told you that's what works. So even if it's not working in the moment, God has said, you go do your job and I'll do mine. God wants you to stop trying to be an unnecessary helper to him. He's saying, I'm a convert. You do your job and preach. That wasn't in my notes. Uh, but remembering that frees us from some of those pressures that we put on ourselves we're to open our mouths. If God's people will say something, God may save someone. And here's why we should play our role. Last point, number three, faith comes from hearing his word. Our faith comes from hearing his word. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Paul gives us the exclamation point Right here, makes it clear, if we haven't gotten it yet, the way people believe in Jesus is when people hear about Jesus. There's lots of boundaries in our hearts that will keep us from believing, but God has given us a weapon. What we have isn't just words, it's the words of God. So we are called to preaching and persuading and to praying. God opens eyes and he opens hearts. We're preaching, persuading, praying. God says, let there be light. We are preaching, persuading, and praying. God raises people from the dead. But we are to be preaching and persuading and praying. That's what God has called us to do. You notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say faith comes through hearing and hearing through the perfect gospel presentation. He doesn't say faith comes from hearing and hearing people who are seminary students. He doesn't say faith comes from hearing and hearing those who are really on their game that day. He doesn't say faith comes from hearing and hearing megachurch pastors. He says hearing through the word of Christ. So the thing that's essential for somebody to be saved to believe in Jesus is the word of Christ. It's not the exact particular way it's proclaimed. It is the word of Christ. It's not you being a perfect evangelist and being a little Billy Graham. It's the word of Christ. It's not being you being the best missionary of all time. It's the word of Christ. That's what our confidence is in. That's when people believe in Jesus is the word of Christ. And some of us stress out more about how good we are about saying something than making sure what we're saying is the word of Christ. The word of Christ is what people hear when they believe in Jesus. And, and this has implications for how we think about missions. Um, I have a friend who, um, him and his wife went, went to the mission field, and they were trying to serve a people who didn't have uh, no churches in the culture, um, no Bible in their language, nothing. And so they go, and they're with a, with a team, and they start having some conflict with their team. And the source of the conflict um, is is how they're gonna to try to reach these people. And so they're, they're trying to learn the language, and the team leaders encourage them to just learn a few phrases, and just to say those phrases. And they said, but we don't know what we're saying. They said, no, no just say these phrases. And so they do that some, with some of the people that they meet. And then they begin to call people who continue to build a relationship based on those phrases, they begin to call them Christians. And they begin to say, keep meeting with them and say some other phrases. You're discipling them. And then they begin to say, a group of them is meeting together. That's a church. And they begin to say, and they're going to say some of these phrases to their friends, and that is evangelists. And, and, And my friends have issues with this because they have no idea what they're saying, and they don't know if they are accurately representing the Word of Christ. And so um, what what the team leaders wanted to do was, hey, let's make some stuff happen and let's gather some people. We'll worry about how precise we are about the word of Christ later. We'll continue to learn the language, but, but later on we'll worry about whether or not this is exactly what Scripture is saying. And my friends ended up having to say, we can't be a part of this team because the most important part of what we're doing is making sure what we're telling them is the word of Christ. We don't know what they understand about what we're saying. We have no idea if what we're saying is the word of Christ. There are things about their language that hang on such small pronunciations. We have no idea if we're proclaiming to them a false Jesus. Now, that only happens if we think that that what we're after has something to do, uh, if we see our role primarily as something other than uh, delivery boys for the word of Jesus. Right? We are uh, newspaper boys who throw newspaper on the lawns, but what we're throwing is the message of Jesus. And if you're not sure that's the message of Jesus, then don't throw it. Uh, and, and, and the confusion with the methods about how we're doing what we're doing comes from not really understanding this. Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. We want people to meet Jesus, and they only meet him through the words that Jesus gave us. So that should affect how we go. We want to go and make sure we can deliver the word of Jesus. That affects how we send. We want to send people to places and with organizations and with other teams that are interested primarily in proclaiming the word of Jesus and building disciples by the word of Jesus. Who we support. We want to support people who are focused in on the word of Christ. Understanding that faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. What happens is we make this a lot more complex. We try to get cute with it. We try to do extra stuff when God has said, go preach. Go preach. Follow me and preach and pray. And follow me and preach and pray. What are you telling people? What kind of wisdom are you giving people? The word of Christ. That's what God has called us to do. That's why missions is so important. That's why the church is the most important organization in the world, because the the primary call we've been given has unique, eternal impact. I'll close by asking you a question, and then I want to pull a Mark devil and give five quick points. (laughs) I lied to you earlier, but he did too. Uh, So the question is, are you going to be a missionary or are you going to go overseas? Why or why not? So if you're not going to be a missionary, you're not going to, uh, you know, put your life on pause, turn it upside down and go somewhere else, why not? I really want you to ask yourself that question because all of us can't go. Otherwise, there's no one to send to support. But all of us should at least ask ourselves that question. The need is too great for us to all assume somebody else is going to do the work. We at least need to ask ourselves that question. We at least need to maybe process that with people around us because God has given us collectively that task. And we want to think about whether we should go. The things that would keep us from going or sending, well, real quick, fear. The antidote to that fear of going is to fear God more. Another obstacle, our apathy. The antidote to that apathy is urgency like Paul has. He's agonizing. He wants his brothers and sisters, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, to be saved. What overcomes that apathy is that 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 urgency. Third one is insecurity. I'm not good enough. You know, if you're thinking, you know what, I am just ill-equipped. I am not qualified to do that. Well, you know what? You are correct. You're not qualified to do that. You can't convert a single person, but the God who sent you can, and he's told us what to do. Antidote to that insecurity is to lean on God, to trust him, to do what he's called us to do. Uh, The fourth thing that keeps us is busyness. We got other stuff going on. Or we got our own plans. Antidote to that, rearrange your priorities to make sure that they are uh, gospel priorities. Uh, The fifth one is closed doors. I can't go. I don't know if I'll be able to do that. They don't even let people in there. Antidote to that is prayer. Praying that God would provide an open door uh, for you to go and to meet the greatest need there ever is. Last thing I'll say is this. um, The I got this approach. Uh, Is fine for for some parts of our lives, Uh, and there are people that sometimes want to help us unnecessarily, but the help that Jesus gave us was not unnecessary. It was absolutely necessary for every single person who's ever lived. We desperately need our Savior, Jesus. And not only is Jesus helping us when we didn't even know we needed help, he's the only one who can help us, and he's the only one who's ever even offered the kind of salvation that we need not just giving us stuff to do more good than bad, but Jesus paid our price. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Jesus defeated the devil for us when we couldn't defeat him for ourselves. Jesus defeated sin for us when we couldn't defeat him for ourselves. Jesus defeated death for us when we couldn't defeat death by ourselves. He's caused us to trust in him and to proclaim that victory to as many people as we can. My prayer is that we would open our mouths, that God would save for his glory, for our good. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for your goodness to us, Father. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus, God, and we thank you for very graciously uh, calling us to, uh, to join you in your work. This is your work, God, and we pray that you would use us to carry out your purposes. We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.